This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. Today on the podcast, we are talking to some famous brothers. And when I say famous, I, I mean, you think about you've got the Wright brothers. I mean, the fathers yep. of of, of uh, aviation. I mean, that's a yep. pretty powerful brother scenario. You have the Kennedys. I mean, yes. political powerhouses. I mean, and yes. how many? I mean, it's like 15 brothers in that family, I think. Yeah. Uh, what about I'm the Wright sure. brothers? The, the Wright brothers, brothers, yeah. Yeah, the fathers of aviation. That's what I'm saying. That's that's the number one. Then, I, mean, I mean, the righteous brothers. The righteous. Oh, the, brothers. the righteous brothers. I'm not sure they were actually brothers or righteous. Oh. I'm not. You know, I don't know if, if either of those two fit. But today we are talking about revival, and we are talking about two brothers who have connected with it in a very special way. Can't wait to hear from these guys today. We have Manley and Jonathan Beasley on the podcast, and we could not be more excited. I can see the excitement uh, in those listening because we've talked about your father for a long time. We've talked we've, we've talked about you guys in many instances along the way on the podcast, and you're aware of what's going on with the Long Haul Revival. We've mentioned that. We, we've talked about that a little bit, but it has really just opened up our hearts and our eyes to really think back and uh, and see what God has done in this area. And so we're just, you know, Pastor, I want you to just kind of share a little bit about uh, these guys, and we want to get talking. We don't want to waste a single moment um, yeah. bloviating, as some might say. Yes. No, we're going to get into it. We, uh, we're we starting a new series where we're talking about uh, revival stories from the past, and uh, we're going to start with uh, two brothers who uh, had the privilege of having Manly Beasley as a father, and I've heard stories from them about their father and after talking to them, I thought, man, we need to get these recorded so that people can hear about their dad. And if you don't know who Manly Beasley is after this podcast, uh, you'll go out and buy his books and listen to his sermons on Sermon Index, which I binge every night on the porch recently. Uh, but you better really, watch out. If you, if you get these books or listen to any of these sermons, by the way, uh, just get ready. You're, you're going to be challenged. It's going to blow your mind. Yes. No, in a good way, in a good way. So guys, thanks for, for being here. Manley's at Hot Springs Baptist Church in Arkansas. Uh, Jonathan is at Cross Church at the uh, Pinnacle Hills campus. Uh, not Pinnacle Hills, uh, Fayetteville campus. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Fayetteville campus. Yep. Uh, there's so many of them at Cross Church. Who knows? What there campus, are. You know, there are. so many. Of, uh, but thank you guys for being with us today. Yeah. Pleasure Great to be here. Good to be. So let's talk about, uh, let's tell those who don't know much about dad, um, about your father, Manly Beasley. In my opinion, I'll just tee it up and then I could turn over to one of you. Uh, I tell people your dad not only is a man who preached faith, uh, because that's what he preached. I mean, he's got, he's got every, I've never seen a man come up with more, with more titles about faith. I mean, <laughs> you name it, the appropriation of faith, the purpose of faith, the laws of faith. I mean, he's got them all. And, uh, and I've listened to most of them, but he was the man who lived it to the end. I mean, he lived this life. He didn't just preach it, which you see that disconnect in a lot of uh, preachers today. He lived it. So let's just tell those who are listening a little bit about dad so they know. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to give it up to my older brother, you know, because he he is older. So uh, with that, <laughs> Manly, I affectionately call him Bubba. So if y'all find me calling him Bubba. It seems like you went out of your way, Jonathan, to call him older. Is it? Is well, it, he, well he is, 
He does that because often when people see us, it's hard for them to tell. (laughs) He wants to make sure they know. (laughs) True. That's true. Um, No, I'm go ahead, Manly. Okay. Yeah. Dad came from uh, humble beginnings, uh, a rough, rough upbringing in terms of uh, his own dad uh, was challenged um, with, uh, you probably won't see us any of the books, his own dad was challenged with a problem with alcohol and uh, you know, all the things that can go along with that. Ultimately dad left home, uh, ran away from home when he was pretty young, uh, went to work on merchant uh, ships, uh, traveled around the world quite a bit and uh, got saved, came home. Uh, he had a prayer mom the whole time, a godly mom. There's a lot of stories associated with that, but she prayed him, prayed it through. Um, and uh, he was saved at 17, surrendered to preach very shortly after. Uh, there's a lot of cool stories that go around how God brought that about. Um, but uh, part of his problem wasn't just the rough upbringing situation, but he also, years later, wa- uh, they identified a problem that he had that he just thought he wasn't that bright. He just concluded, well, I'm just not that bright a guy. Uh, and he had what we're more familiar with now called dyslexia where it created a, a problem with reading and so on. So he had some real hurdles to overcome. And so from the very beginning, his walk with God necessitated maybe a, a different type of faith than, than we, I mean, we all, you have to trust God with your life and salvation, but he was trusting God with some key hurdles. God, you want me to preach? I can't even read. Uh, my, I have a seventh grade education. And, uh, and so uh, processing through all that, I think that's where his early dependence on God in a faith that we would all call unique, you know, all, all five of us sitting here, we, we would say, wow, he lived a unique life of faith. We all live by faith because we have, because that's the only way you can relate to God, you know, and uh, it's impossible to please God without faith. But most people would agree that he lived a unique life. And so out of that um, came the beginnings, the early beginnings of, of him learning to as as we're told in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, which is rhema there, which we don't all need to become, you know, Greek, Greek scholars, but it's different than Logos. It, yes. it has to do with God's spirit uh, personalizing the Logos to you. You know, it's a personal word from God. And so he, yeah. he started living a life where he felt like for him to walk through life, as a minister with his rough beginnings and lack of education in that world and all of that, that he needed to hear from God. And so he began very early on building a foundation of faith by hearing from God, by seeking God and hearing from God and then doing what God told him to do. And because of that, there are some incredible stories about a man who just learned to listen to God and then act in faith on what God told him. And that's, that's a, a brief capsulization. Y'all all know that a little later in life, he had some serious health challenges and that, that also created an accountability. He viewed that as God giving him, uh, uh, giving him a requirement to walk by faith just in order to live. In order to live, mm-hmm. he had to walk by faith because all the doctors said, you're, you're going to die. You're dying. You got six months, 21 yep. years later, he finally passed away you know, after, after all that, 
but uh, so uh, yeah, so that's no, that's good. That's just the capsulization of so. How did this guy come about? Where did he come from? And that's kind of the background there. So yeah, and you've told me, and Jonathan, and I've talked about some of this too. So you're saying Dad's passion for uh, the faith life was not so much out of his super spirituality, but more out of a necessity. Mm. Like, like it was yeah. this dependence upon God. And it's funny, you just talked about the Logos and the Rhema word of Romans 10, 17, because these guys will tell you that is the text that I preached on yesterday <laughs> and explained <laughs> that. That's what got us chills. We, we were all laughing when you say that, because that is the exact thing that changed say, my life from dad. I was wondering if you had listened to the sermon yesterday. And no, I did not. I, I wouldn't I, have understood I, I, anything. Yeah. If you, if, no, I had no idea that you had done that. I, actually, I, I always got the like sermon to, from Manly. So. Yeah, I always <laughs> like to define it as, as the Logos and God tapping you on the shoulder, the Spirit tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I'm talking to you personally. That's the way I, that's that's the way I define the rhema is that it's truth but it's God tapping you on the shoulder and say, Hey, you, I'm speaking to you. Listen. And, uh, and then now there's a basis for me to take action because God has not just spoken. God has spoken to me. So, uh, Jonathan, yeah, that, that's so good. Jonathan, tell us about, uh, we talked about this. Um, dad always felt at times, I hate to say inferior to his friends, like, Ron Dunn and others who were well-educated and had seminary training. And yet it was the pastors who came to him for advice and sought him for counsel because of his walk with God. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I was, uh, I mean, just growing up, you know, in the old days there weren't cell phones. So, you know, the phone's going to ring and I'm going to pick up the phone cause I'm a kid and want to get to the phone. And, you know, on, on the phone would, would be a, a you know, um, just you, you name, you name the preachers and, and they were calling dad, um, Adrian Rogers, um, you know, um, good grief, uh, Charles Stanley, you just, you just go down the list and they would be calling dad. And of course I'd be excited because everybody, Hey dad, Adrian Rogers is on the phone. <laughs> um, but I think that the uniqueness of them calling dad is because he was a man of faith, but he also would ask questions of those men that would push them or challenge them into leaning into their relationship with the Lord, where it, it wasn't going to be sitting around a table asking a bunch of men advice. It was going to be, what does the Lord say to you? What is he, what is he trying to, uh, to get across to you that you have, you have to depend upon him no matter what man says and no matter what the advisory group might say to you at that point. Um, I, I distinctly remember uh, Dr. Rogers calling dad um, about, about the move from Bellevue um, from downtown Bellevue to out where their current location is, you know, some, however many years later, this is 40 years later. And that was, that was a huge step of faith by, by brother Adrian, but also by that church to trust him to do that. Um, and yet now, I mean, we, you know, look back and see what God did with that. And it's, you know, really one of the first really mega churches that we've ever seen and experienced, even in how they built things and, and what a step of faith, but that phone call was to dad, you know, to talk to him. And again, I think that in, wow. inferior feeling 
goes back to that part that my brother said about dyslexia that just makes a man feel insecure. And, and the way that dad dealt with that was, um, as, as you've said, Robbie, I've heard a couple of your sermons uh, here recently. And, and then obviously your podcast is that dad didn't, dad didn't have any other way except to grab his jug of water, get a Bible and go out into the woods. And the way he would say it is he would stay out there until he got an answer from God. And, uh, that's, that's the way he had to, um, you know, figure out most things. Um, I think Manly Jr. could probably talk to this, but from an educational standpoint, um, dad was, man, he, he really understood the scripture, but it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be from a sitting in the classroom. It was going to be from an experiential sitting at the feet of the Lord, you know, out in a pine tree or wherever saying, Lord, what, what do I think about this theologically or what do I think about this doctrine? Because he he was out there on the road preaching, you know, in churches and having to depend upon the Lord. Can you uh, share a little bit more about that? Like when I hear you say, uh, Jonathan, dad in a pine tree, <laughs> I mean, I, in my mind, I'm thinking nobody's doing that these days. You know, I don't know. Maybe they are and, I, and I'm missing it. But uh, yeah, Manly, can you elaborate a little bit on that? I think these days it's like if you don't have seminary, you're not even qualified to be a pastor. You know, you're not even qualified to teach. Mm. And uh, and I've had seminary. I know pastors have seminary. I'm just assuming. I don't know if you guys have, have had seminary. But ultimately, uh, it's almost like a qualifying uh, element. And then you look at the life of someone like your dad and you think, I, I, I would exchange seminary for that, <laughs> you know, for however yeah. he got that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but can you elaborate on that a little Absolutely. bit, man? Well, I think, I think God, regardless of your education, I think God is going to take you into the school of um, intimacy and isolation. And that's what we see uh, dad, because he didn't have the other, the other, he, he exclusively depended on that. We learned through time that regardless of whatever education we get and the tools, which are valuable tools, I believe I've got, a, I've got a seminary degree. Uh, I got some valuable tools there that there still is no substitute for the time where God one-on-one teaches me and dad's analogy was the woods he he grew up in the country so his deal was to get out in the woods uh it was frustrating sometimes as his son when i would go to him because i knew how he got a hold of god and i would want i would want some insight into my life and i'd say uh dad um shirley and i are praying <laughs> my wife's name is shirley i said we're praying about this and everything and i was hoping he would kind of say yeah god god wants you to do this and then i'd have an answer and i'd move and he more than once, I'd say over my lifetime, probably between 15 and 20 times, he would reach over and he'd get his Bible and he'd hold it out. And he said, here's the Bible. And he'd point out, he goes, there's the woods. He said, don't come back till you hear from God. Ooh, man. <laughs> that was his, man. that was his thing. He said, here's the Bible. There's the wood. Don't come back. Wow. Till you hear from God." And it was his way. And one time I out of frustration, I said, dad, I said, just, just be dad today and tell me what to do. Okay. Don't, don't put yeah. me up. Don't send me out there with God. And he said, son, he said, uh, I can give you some advice. And he said, and I hope it's good advice. And I should give you advice from time to time. He said, but I'm not going to be here forever. He said, you got to learn to hear from God. And he mm. said, people need to learn to hear from God. And so that was, uh, that was the point that he made. And that's why these great, uh, men uh, that we all still admire. God used them in mighty ways uh, from our past. Um, 
that's why they, they got in touch with him because they needed someone to remind them and to encourage them. You need to hear from God. Have you got a word? And that's the way he dealt with these guys. If you ever, which I know none of you guys had the opportunity, but I often did uh, because I was older than Jonathan. So I was, I was around <laughs> some when he would be with these guys and he would ask them, he said, well, well, what's God saying to you, brother? You know, they'd, they'd say, well, Manly, I'm thinking about this, or I'm wondering, and he'd go, well, what's God saying to you? Well, that's what I'm trying to get to. And and he'd basically say, there's the Bible, there's the, <laughs> I mean, he you know, wouldn't say it that bluntly, but he would basically say, don't, you got to get that word from God, because you can't have faith. You, faith is based on a word from God, and you got to have yes. it. And that was what he held himself and others accountable to. And that's what sometimes we don't. Sometimes we we do the uh, okay. I got to make a decision. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna do this and hope for the best and move forward. And uh, and his his approach to life was was biblical, I think. Which is you if you really want to have a basis for faith, you need to hear from God. And so his deal one time I, I was saying, well, well I need some time to pray before there was a big thing we were doing and, 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 and we had to make a decision about it. And I said, dad, I, I've got to have some time to pray here and everything. He said, son, he said, you should have been prayed up. He said, that's mm. why he said the reason to pray isn't so we can check a mark off. He said, you got to be prayed up so you can hear from God at a moment because you've got to act in faith at a moment. And so his whole wow. lifestyle was, was different than us. And of course, I think the health issue where doctors were saying, you could go any minute. And they said that over and over for years. And basically uh, one of his books, which um, I don't know if you've got that or not, Robbie called alive by his life. Have you ever even heard of that one? No, no. Okay. Oh, come on. That little book right there. uh, That's kind of the story of God's pilgrimage of taking him through the illness into God. Actually, he believes God told him that I can heal you. And uh, if you want that, you got to you got to make a decision. You won't have to depend on me every minute for life. And if you really want to learn to walk by faith, then then you're going to have to walk trusting me to give you your breath every moment of every day. And so he says, God didn't heal me. God sustained me and gave me life in spite of what my body and the doctors were saying was true about me. And and that may be people ask me, well, are you the man of faith your dad was? And I go, no. And they go, why not? And I said, well, so far I haven't been willing to go through what he went through to become that, you know? Uh, let, yeah. Let's okay. So let's stop here. Cause I want, I want to really pick up this. Cause I don't know if everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, because this is the key to dad's life. I think as being the life of faith. Um, but before we do this, I want to ask one question before we go, because I want to move on to this. Tell us what the question was at the breakfast table. Most days I was blown away by this because I ask people this question all the time and I've been, I, I just shared it with her, but I want to know, is this true? Did you hear this question growing up at the breakfast table over cereal? What would dad ask you guys growing up uh, well, going to high school? Well, first of all, it could be, you know, over cereal, it could be lunch, it could be dinner, but just whatever time we were getting to hit with him. Cause that was, he was on the road a lot, at least when I was growing up for sure. And and, and it was it was at an age where I understood. So he, he would basically, you know, look at me and say, hey, what what do you trust in the Lord for today? And uh, and I would throw out something, you know, hey, three touchdowns this weekend, 
new girlfriend, you know, something. He goes, well, what are you trusting the Lord for that, that if he doesn't come through, you're sunk? I was going, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are you talking about, Dad? I don't, what, do you, what am I going to trust the Lord for at 16? He'd say, I don't know. What are you trusting the Lord for? Do you, do you believe that he, he can do what he says he can do? I mean, you, you're not going to know unless you ask. And we have not because we ask not. So what, you know, what do you trust the Lord for? And usually I was, I was fairly smart aleck to him just because he, he had, I was the last. He was the baby. I was the baby in the last. And and, and everybody else was gone. Everybody else was gone. So he and I had a pretty unique relationship because there wasn't the other kids. I was going like, well, dad, I mean, you, you, you have to trust God. I mean, I was pretty blunt with him. I go, you got to trust God. You can't physically do things with, with without trusting God. So, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of got it wrapped up. And then he would lead me down the, oh, you you think this is easy type of deal. And mm-hmm. the, the point was, is that at an early age, I was seeing and watching a man who's, uh, which by the way, Robbie, he, he, he didn't feel like he had the gift of faith. He just felt like it was a necessity in his life. Wow. But sometimes Ron Dunn would say that he believed he had the gift of faith and others would say, and I think he accepted that he did, but it it just became a lifestyle that he had faith mainly mm-hmm. because he depended on that. But his question was not just to, it wouldn't just be to our family. He would, he would meet somebody, Robbie, and, and they would have a meeting set up with him. And he, that'd be one of his first questions is, Hey, what are you trusting God for today? Hey, that's a great question for all of us, by the way. And you know what I found even in my own life? I don't have a quick answer for that. Yeah. Like I have to really press in and pr- I mean, I could put something out of pastoral response, but that takes a lot of prayer, a lot of thought, a lot of consideration. Let me, let me ask you this before we go into the faith of your father. When did you guys know how impactful dad was? Like, when did you really know, like, man, God's hands on my dad and there's something special about this man. Uh, when did you guys know that? Um, I think uh, I recall uh, because I was the oldest son, uh, actually, he let me tag around with him a little bit, uh, before, you know, Jonathan did too, but he's nine years younger than me. So it was years later before he was old enough to do it. But I would go with him to some meetings and, uh, uh, and I just watched him and I saw this guy's not acting like the other, the other preachers. He, you know, we, I think we talked a little bit, Robbie, I can't recall, uh, specifically, and I'm not going to tell these stories right now. If you egg me on later at some time, we'll talk. But uh, some things that I would call to me would be very mystical. Uh, yes. at meeting, I'd be sitting there with him with a pastor, and he would he would ask the pastor, "What are we?" So, so this revival we're about to begin. Uh, let's say it's a Saturday night. Tomorrow morning we begin uh, this meeting. Uh, what are you trusting God to see happen this week? You know, well, usually, the, well, I, you know, it's a revival. We want people to be saved. So, how many people are you asking God to save? You know, <laughs> usually. The guy, you mean we're supposed to do that? You know, I mean, it was it was very foreign. And he uh, and then I would see him lead these guys through. And later I asked him about that. I said, I said, you know, why are you when you come into these guys and you're you're 
you're telling them, I believe God's going to save 22 people this week. And I'm going, why, you know, what does that do? Does, you know, and he said, he said, I've got to teach these young pastors that you can hear from God. Mm-hmm. And when he talks, you can believe him. And so this is the kind of thing that makes them believe is, is to how much is the offering going to be and tell them how much is and stuff. And because I thought it was almost like a, like a magic show to a young guy, like, why are you doing, you know, why are you doing it? It's pretty yeah. cool. You know, I agree, but why? Yeah. Is yeah. Because that's, <laughs> that's the way they learn is to see, wow. it's to see that. And uh, so he was, yeah, he, he was very explicit. And I saw that happening when I would travel with him and then I would see God move. I would see times he was very, he was very clear on not falling into any snare of uh, presupposition with regard to uh, a revival or, 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 or worship experience. On, on occasion, you may have heard what this. What do you story, mean by that? Uh, for example, yep. uh, I saw him. I was there one time where he walked up to begin a meeting. It was a Sunday morning. The place was packed out. He walked up to preach. And he looked around and and he said, um, you know what? He said, y'all aren't ready for what I have to say. He said, I'll see you tonight. And he walked off. And the pastor, <laughs> what do I do with that? You know? And then that night they came back and and before the service even started, people flooded the altars. It was in Memphis, it Tennessee. Chills. It was at a church in Memphis, wow. Tennessee. I wish I could think of the name of it. Um, but uh, I was there with him and and people pack the aisle, people get saved. And he hadn't even preached yet. He just got up and said, y'all aren't ready for what I have to say. Get ready. I'll see you tonight. And he walked right out of the pulpit. That was a Sunday wow. morning. Thank you so much for joining us for part one of Voices of Revival with the Beasley Brothers. You can listen to part two next week. And as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, take a moment, share it with a friend. And until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org. Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders who can help you achieve your God-given potential? Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been, and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the collective will interact with premier church leaders, men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders, and you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to replicatecollective.com.
replicatecollective.com. We have limited spots, so you want to check it out today.